Am I doing better than I was doing then? Absolutely. Leaps and bounds better. Am I, you know, 100%? No, I'm never going to be 100%. Just that's my illness. That's why I take nine pills a day. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, we are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. I'm going to keep trying. And I want to thank everybody who has joined me on this podcast since we started back in July and all of our listeners from around the world. Thank you. And I appreciate it. We're talking about suicide. So this may not be a good fit for everybody. Please take that into account before you listen. I do hope you listen because there's a lot to learn. Now, if you're a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And if you listen on Apple, I know I say this a lot, but it really would help if you could rate and review this podcast. Let's other people find it more easily. And I think there's a lot of people that need to find it. Thank you for that. Today I am talking with Emily. Emily lives in Taiwan and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Emily. So you're in uh, Taiwan. I am, yeah teaching yeah yeah. we have a few things in common it's interesting Mm -hmm. i spent a good part of my life teaching english as a second language in a few different countries and here oh yeah and story stuff and this stuff it's very weird emily um yeah yeah. where did you teach the main places where i really stayed for like a year or more were japan saudi arabia argentina and then shorter stints elsewhere collectively far more time in the states Mm-hmm. Uh, in different places, community college and various places. Yeah. That's very cool. I was in Korea for two years, nine, 10 years ago. Emily also is a good storyteller, very good storyteller. Thank you. you. you I sometimes do, you'll see, I do third person and then second person here. <laughs> one a moth slam, one a grand slam. I heard Emily's moth story. If you don't know what the moth is, Google the moth all about storytelling. I have a storytelling organization too. So just Google my shit also while you're at it. Drop that in. Yeah. Now you are not here to tell a story, but I will invite you one day to be on my other podcast, which is about story. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'd love that. I heard your story. The one that kind of overlaps with some of what we'll probably discuss here today. Very powerful. Mm -hmm. Then you said the one that you won with for the grand sim actually was a little lighter and, but it won. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Where are you from? Um, I'm from the D.C. area in Virginia. I went to college in Pittsburgh, spent, spent, spent about eight years there. Love Pittsburgh. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. She's got a unicorn behind her. I do. Not her choice, but she's trying yeah. to embrace it, presumably. <laughs> and uh, given that the show is, or this podcast is about suicide attempt survivors, I know for sure, without having asked Emily a lot of sort of pre-questions here, 
that she has a suicide attempt. Is that right? Yes. Do you have one attempt yes. or more than one attempt? Only one actual attempt. I have been hospitalized more than once, and it, but it was for all for suicidal ideation. So like three times when I was a kid. Yeah. Really young. Yeah. Um. I. I mean, I started Prozac when I was like nine. Ah. I mean, that's when I started talking about it. Really? So clearly, this has been like part of my brain chemistry my right. whole life, right? You think that if you had been born to like the perfect family, in the mm-hmm. perfect place, at the perfect school, you still have that? Yeah. I mean, my family. You know, I. I didn't have any like. Uh, abnormal trauma uh, as a child. I wasn't abused. Like my family was very like loving and supportive. I mean, obviously they had their issues, but to be born a person with a mental illness, like not a bad family to be part of, they definitely were, you know, acknowledged it and cared for it in the correct way, like sought help and believed in therapy and stuff. So that was nice. You know, I don't really recall why I started feeling like talking about it when I was a kid. Talking about just the pain and the problem, the pain. I think I started talking about like killing myself when I was nine or 10. So obviously they were like, they had been dealing with my older brother having anxiety. So they'd been through some stuff. So by the time I came along with my issues or whatever, they kind of knew what path to take. Yeah. My sister doesn't have any... (laughs) She's the middle child, doesn't have any mental health issues. Lucky her. So, you know, yeah, she got, she rolled the dice in a different way. Yeah, I remember like being hospitalized in fifth, sixth, and seventh grade. Yeah. You were hospitalized at that age. Yeah. Do you think that helped at all? We we know that it's hard to kill yourself in a hospital. Also at like 10, 11, 12, I had no idea like how to do that. You didn't have a specific plan at that point. No, I mean, it was more like, oh, my God, this like 10 year old is talking about wanting to die. Like, that's bad. There wasn't any like plan. There wasn't any realistic way that I could have right. done it. Like, I didn't have access to anything. The thing about the the hospital, right, is they can change your uh, meds very quickly. They can monitor you in a con- very controlled environment, which I guess is what they want. Inauthentic space is a very, very apt like phrase especially when we get to the time a few years ago when I actually did attempt like that 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 really resonates with me but you know I think that was I mean this is like late 90s and I don't know I mean I don't know what the state of mental health treatment for kids was at that point you know very different different yeah um I kind of didn't realize (laughs) until uh, I had a therapist in graduate school, like, so I was 29, right? When this woman finally told me, like, I had been bullied bad enough in fifth grade that I had to transfer schools. And I had always, like, just been like, oh, yeah, it was, like, weird and weak. And, like, that's why they bullied me. And, like, I always kind of just, like, blamed it on myself, but kind of swept it under the rug. Like, oh, yeah, that was just a thing. And my my therapist was like, Emily, that's traumatizing. Mm. Like, that's a traumatizing thing that you maybe, that like maybe affected you much more than you thought it did. And, and I think she's, she was definitely right as far as like going into middle school, which is like everyone's worst nightmare because middle school's the worst. The worst. And, and high school and just probably like my confidence from, from there. 
I don't think that's how, I mean, that's not how it started. I do remember the, once I went on Prozac, uh, I started to gain weight from it. And that also, that didn't help. So then I was like, not on any medication. I like went through middle school. I was like, I don't want to be on any medication anymore. I wasn't medicated again until I was in my like later 20s, maybe like 26 or 27. So from high school, college and on, you're, you're, you're doing okay? Yeah. I mean, I was not, I was definitely not feeling suicidal. I mean, I would get down like, but I'd have down periods, but it, it wasn't like that bad, I guess, that I felt like I needed to be medicated. There was a point where I felt like I did. I tried to go to the psych ER in Pittsburgh at Western Psych. I had like really crappy insurance. My insur- They didn't take my insurance for like their hospital. Um, and they felt like I wasn't necessarily like a risk to myself. So they were just going to send me home with nothing. So it was like this really traumatic experience. And I was like, cool, I'm gonna have to pay like so much money that I don't have for this whole, yeah. you know, six hours of my life. I got really upset and uh, which is not really usually my thing, but I got, I was like, so you gave me, they gave me like a list of psychiatrists. I was like, I could have Googled this. Like, why didn't, yeah, like, are you fucking kidding me? Like the information desk could have given me this. Why, like, why did I sit here for six hours and you're not going to do anything? And then the attending psychiatrist did something that he said he'd never done before. And he said, I am not going to admit you, but I don't think that you should leave without anything because I'm worried. Why does he not admit you? I think it was a combination of like, they didn't think I was severe enough. And also like they, my insurance didn't cover it. If you're taking yourself to the hospital, aren't you telling people it's serious? What they get- That was my thought. Isn't it possible? I think what happens sometimes is you're smart, you're eloquent, you know, you're well-spoken, your thoughts are put together. You can't be that serious. Exactly. And I had said, you know, I don't have any- pills like or anything on hand did they ask you the imminent risk questions yeah and and i didn't have access to these things at that moment that's pittsburgh i could have walked i could have walked to a certain place and gotten what i needed you know like it, yes. it i felt like it was so medically irresponsible that whole experience yes he gave me a prescription for celexa and they put me in a taxi and i went back to my apartment at 1 a.m and that was the end of it And then I had to try to find a psychiatrist. That was a pain. I could only find one. I didn't have a car and like could only find one in the suburbs that was taking patients. And like, it just was not this like viable thing. It was, it was horrible. I mean, trying to find help and like getting medication. I finally found one that was close to my job so I could go I was working downtown, so I could at least like go to the downtown office like during my lunch break. Like sometimes I would go to the I th- I found a therapist there too. So sometimes my lunch break would be my therapy appointment. I just like and I did get better. I mean, going from not medicated at all to medicated. You were what late twenties at the time? You said late twenties. Yeah, I was about twenty-seven. I am so baffled by that whole experience because Western Psychs like a very good hospital, mm-hmm. and it has a really good reputation in the psych community and the experience I had was heinous. So do people have a space to say negative things about it if it's not good? Cause maybe they, they don't warrant the good reputation. Maybe we just hear the good stuff. 
Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm, you know, I just remember I threw a tissue box across the intake room and that's like never something I've done before. <laughs> like I never like had an outburst like that. But I just remember this psych, she was a student, like she wasn't, she was training. And I took the tissue box that was next to me and I just like threw it across the room away from her, not like at anybody. But I was just like, I could have gotten this from a Google search. And like, I was like, why did I even come here? And which was super out of character for me. But like, that's where they took me. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I ended this experience being a million times more agitated and upset than I was, you know, coming into it. It was really awful. Yeah, it was a psych ER. That's what I was in. I was in the psych ER. Joke. They should be criminalized. Fuck them. Oh, my God. But they should really be fucking... I'm like, it makes me feel better that I'm not the only person that had uh, like a terrible experience. I think they're, and I know, I know they're, they're not, I know they're under-resourced and I know they're blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. I'm just, I, fuck that. I had a doctor there. I think he's a fucking criminal. He should be in jail. I, yeah, I mean, I, um, and I'm, I'm a couple years out. I've, I'm removed. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I'm here. It's a scar, not a wound. It's a scar, not a wound. You're a fucking criminal. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and those people, uh, there's nothing also like when you are in, you're so vulnerable. Right. And like, this is so like something that you keep inside 24 seven and you don't know who's safe to talk about it with you. People make you feel like you shouldn't talk about it. Even if you're willing to, that's my experience that even, you know, three years out of me um, attempting it, and I even like told a story on stage about this and said this exact thing that like, I felt like I could talk about it, but uh, it made other people uncomfortable and that they make me feel weird about it. So then I don't talk about it. So then to be so vulnerable in this like open room and there's so many people and they're asking you these like really private questions and, and it's just, you know, I've used the word traumatizing a lot, but it, it just is really difficult and it makes you so angry. And I totally understand when you say like, you're, you're like judging that I'm angry right now, but I'm not angry because of my mental illness. I'm angry because of you. Yeah. And, you know, they can easily reframe that as if you weren't mentally ill, you wouldn't be this angry. Yeah. So why are we doing this dance? I'm here to yeah. feel well and you're being a dick. And when exactly. I say I don't mean dick, I don't mean dick like, um, you know, I don't know, you're probing into my personal life. No, that's part of the, no, but you're actually yeah. antagonistic as shit. Why? moment that I probably need like a lot of sympathy and empathy um for my vulnerability and like how raw I am right now like it takes and and to like not respect the courage it takes to take yourself Uh. to somewhere like that I mean I took the bus by myself I didn't call anyone and I don't like I didn't call anyone when I was like anytime I had to go to any medical stuff at least in Pittsburgh I never called anybody I always went by myself. I always took the bus. I just remember sitting on the bus thinking like, I'm like taking the bus to the psyche ER. This is weird. Kind of like poetic and sad. Like it's, yeah. So it's just, I think that a lot of people are so jaded when the workers are so jaded that they kind of like forget that it takes so much courage and that this isn't something you like just did. Like you've been thinking about it for so long and you're trying to save yourself and like, nobody's helping you do that. There just seems to be putting roadblocks at every. 
And that's why, and I want to hear more about your experience. When it, when someone does, whether it's in or out of the hospital, when someone does engage you in a way that's not the way we were, we've just been describing, how good it feels. Yeah. yeah. Mostly listening, right? Mm-hmm. Mostly not talking. Mostly shutting the fuck up. Don't say yeah. stupid shit. Here's what stupid shit <laughs> sounds like. I've talked about before that about one of the hardest things after I attempted was um, people not acknowledging it. I said that it was like walking around with two broken arms and nobody saying anything, which would be super weird, right? Like if you walked in with two broken arms and nobody was like, oh my God, did you break right. your arms? You know, right. like- <laughs> a lot of opportunity for comedy here, Emily. <laughs> right. and, like, and, and like all these people know what happened, but they're yeah. just like not saying anything. And, right. uh, and everybody wanted to like give me space. And, and that was like, Um, Or they'd say, you know, if you ever need anything, like, I'm here, like, you can talk to me. And I'm like, I didn't tell anyone that I was depressed, let alone that I was going to fucking kill myself. You think I'm going to, like, text you about it? You know, I'm not I'm not going to text you. I because a lot of it is lip service. You don't really realize, like, who's actually going to, like, be there in the way that you need. And that's doesn't mean that people don't have good intentions. But like. Mm. only certain people are like they're the way that you need them to be i appreciated like the people that asked like what do you need and i'm like if you if you want to check in on me don't ask how i'm doing like ask me a specific question hey have you been has anything happened in the past couple weeks that's like throwing you off a little bit or be specific don't make me how are you i I don't fucking know i'm fine It, yeah, don't, don't make don't make you work harder and try trying to figure out a way to communicate what's right. I think I'm a pretty good communicator. So like when people gave me space and they didn't like come to me, I, I felt like nobody gives a shit. I think that's like what people are told. You're not supposed to acknowledge that like someone has had like an event that you want to like give them space. I don't think that that's what most people want. Like I like swallowed a bunch of hydrocodone because I thought nobody cared. I don't understand the logic. Yeah. I'm just thinking about some of the stuff you just said and well and presumably well-intentioned people so off. You know that they care, but you also want to be like, dude, you're going to be fucking devastated if I'm dead and you have no idea how close I am. And you're asking me every two months, you doing all right? Come on, yeah. give me a fucking break. Or you like can't text me back. Yeah, come on, man. You don't want to ever use the uh, this as a threat ever. Get your shit together here a little bit. Stop fucking around. Stop dicking around and, you know, have a grown up conversation. Yeah. And I I felt very like um, isolated a lot. I'm I'm the only like single one in my friend group. People get busy with their lives. I understand that like to a certain point, but it is really hard. Like they don't realize how hard it is. You watch yourself become like less and less a part of the lives of people you care about because they're filling it with other things that are valid and fine. And like, it's okay. Yeah. Children, spouses, whatever. They want to like paint some walls in their house. Cool. I'm not coming over for that. I don't want to do that shit. I was having a really hard time with that. And it's really hard to, and not to say I was like jealous of them. It just that I was alone all the time. And that's just not my, yeah, that's not how I like to be. And, and I'm, I, really like quality time and spending time with people. Um, I wasn't getting like any of that. And so I just kind of extrapolated, you know, my brain just extrapolated that into like, nobody's going to give a shit if you're gone. I particularly remember 
if we want to get into the actual attempt. As much as you are comfortable telling us or sharing with us. Sure. Everybody. I'm comfortable telling you everything. I don't give a shit. Bring so it. Well, <laughs> think, open his book. Do you think that uh, there's people out there that probably need to hear it? Those are the listeners, presumably. Mm-hmm. So Sure. So it, it was interesting because I attempted uh, suicide on May 7th, 2018. In February of that year, I actually was hospitalized for suicidal ideation. At this point, none of my friends know. Okay. Anybody that's met me prior to 2009 doesn't know like how bad or that I have depression or definitely how bad it was. So that was like when I told my friends, like in, I ended up going to this hospital that was like super nice. They actually admitted me into the drug rehab ward because they're waiting for a bed in the other ward. And the drug rehab ward actually was totally fine. I had like, I slept, my roommate did steal my toiletries. Uh, they said they gave her a talking to for that though. They were like, Jessica. <laughs> and I ended up talking to a bunch of guys there like for lunch and stuff. And they were all really nice. And, and then that day they moved me up to just like very peaceful, like sad people, you know, 14, like 14 person sad people ward. And it was just sad people ward. Yeah. Yeah. It was like very, it was a very good experience. Like I I had a great, um, I had a great experience there. And um, that is not the hospital I got sent to the second time. I remember May 4th was my friend's wedding. I went and I had a great time. People, friend from high school, like I love dearly. I've known her husband for a long time as well. And I get in the Uber home and I am just, I just am suddenly like devastated at like had the idea of like being alone. And I'm like, I'm going to be alone forever. You know, I really got attached to that. And I was like, I I just don't, I don't think this is ever going to happen for me. So I planned to do it the next day, but I uh, couldn't arrange um, someone to take care of my dog. Tuesday morning, this, at this point, my mom and is a living near me. My brother lives in her basement. He has a back issue, so he has like hydrocodone. He's very careful about it, taking it. Like he's you know very careful about not getting addicted to it. But I was like, I know he has narcotics. I dropped my dog off in the morning before work, which is something I did usually. So it was not out of character. This is a tu- this is Tuesday. I went downstairs um, where I knew he kept the pills, and my mom was just kind of walking up around upstairs, and I'm kind of like, mom, like fuck off, like I'm trying to steal these pills. She like turned on the light for me from upstairs, like what are you doing down there? I'm like, well, I'm in the room. just I'll be up in a second. I'm rushing, and I find a bottle of hydrocodone that's about half full. I go to work and this thing's in my bag. I work, I teach children. Right, right, Ms. Yarrison. And 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 if your coworker or principal or a parent saw you that day, they'd think you were probably just fine at school. Literally no one had any idea. And everyone who had known at work about the first time about being in the hospital, like everybody thought like, oh no, she's been like fine. Like she's, she's fine including everyone around me. So like literally nobody saw this where, and I'm sure you get, you know, you know what this feels like. I've been wearing this mask for so long. I can pretend I'm not depressed. I can fool anybody. And especially like extent that I was pretending like where I'm 95% of my thoughts were about killing myself. And like, nobody would have known that, you know, cause I was 
doing well at work. And my therapist in grad school said, it seems like the worse you feel, the better you are function, you function. That's like, it's more of a performance, right? Like you're like doing super well and you're actually feeling inside much really badly. So I think I had hit this point, like, I don't even know why I picked that day. It just, it just was the, the day. Went home and I blended, I used my magic bullet and blended up all those hydrocodone and I put them in a drink. It was fruit punch and I still can't drink fruit punch to this day. So um, I also didn't use my magic bullet after that. Like I kind of realized it as I was moving out of that apartment. Maybe I, maybe there was some uh, weird attachment to that, but. Maybe the bullying when you were 10 years old. Might yeah, have yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all coming you know, back, right? Just perhaps. Yeah, it's all connected. So I remember I put, so I put the powder in the drink, does not dissolve uh, very well because okay. um, okay. there's a lot of it. I remember stirring it like a freaking witch's cauldron, just like trying to put Do so much fruit punch in there. If we were to see you in that moment, were you, do you recall sort of frenzied or rather methodical and just intentional and this is what I'm going to do and I, I think I was closer to frenzied than methodical like I was methodical in that like I put these in the blender and like did this but then I remember walking like kind of pacing my kitchen a few times before I swallowed it and I drank the whole thing as fast as I could um I wrote out a note and put it on my bedside table. It was just like, I just can't do it anymore. Like, please don't like give my dog away. Like somebody please find like someone to take care of her. That was it. That was my, that was my note. And then I got in my bed and then I, I sent it. I sent a text to my family goodbye. Then that uh, started a series of events that led to me being in an ambulance and then at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, at the ER, uh, and they determined that I had not taken enough right. hydrocodone. I had not taken enough to kill myself, but over the next 24 hours, I had taken enough to get myself extremely high. So I was like super high. For, um, and then just suddenly like couldn't keep my eyes open. You know, I'm at like the craft table in the hospital, just like my cheek on the on the table, like drooling. Perfect movie scene. Exactly. Yeah. I just like and I remember, I mean, I'm in this ER and like, you know, my parents are upset. They're there. My sister um, was in town for business, which I didn't know. And she came as well to the ER. And um, I remember I didn't want the nurse to give me whatever she wanted to give me. And she was like, if you don't let me give it to you, I'm going to have to restrain you. And I remember being like, you are a bitch, um, <laughs> which and I just had this like intense anger when they told me that I was I didn't take enough. I was like so mad. I was angry for months. I mean, really? Yeah. That you were like, it didn't work. You wanted to be dead. Yeah. My mom asked me, or she said she asked herself, why would Emily swallow not enough to kill her? And then she realized what I realized after is they don't tell you the correct overdosage amount for these things on the internet it's hard to find I you know eyeballed it and thought that that was going to be enough and it wasn't I felt I remember feeling and it's hard to explain too when you feel that way like I'm not trying to get attention I thought I was going to die like I wanted to die I drank a shit ton of pills because I I thought that it would kill me like I didn't do this for your attention right 
the police came to my apartment and they thankfully ignored the weed on my bookcase. Thanks, guys. Uh, right, right, right. <laughs> appreciate it. And they said something about how they could put me in handcuffs. And I was like, what do you mean you put me in handcuffs? Right. And I like took. But they could. I know. And that's what I learned that they could. And thank God I went voluntarily because if you get, if you get brought into the hospital in cuffs, then you are not allowed to leave the ward. Right. So you can't go do any like outside time or go to the cafeteria or like art therapy or any of that stuff. You're just in the ward the whole time. That sounds like a yeah. really good way to handle somebody who's in a lot of pain too. Just stick them in somewhere and don't let them leave. Yeah. Punish them. Punish them. This is when it gets kind of crazy, right? So I am finally given a bed at a different hospital that's closer. It was not in the sad people ward. It was in just the adult ward, which is a whole mixed bag. Real, uh, real fruit salad in there. Just like a lot of everything, every diagnosis. I mean, I was greeted by a woman who was brought there in handcuffs because she was found like outside of the CIA building, like threatening them. Mm-hmm. She was getting messages from the TV or she, she was convinced that I was a designer because I said that she said, I like your shirt. And I said, thank you. And she said, what is it? And I was like, oh, I don't know. It's just a design. And then she convinced herself that I was a designer. So she was... The whole time I was in there giving me design jobs, she'd like pick up a chair and she'd be like, so I really like the back of this chair. Like, do you think you could do something with it? I'm like, I'd be like, yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, these, this range of people like me and then people who are in like deep psychosis, right? She was, she had stopped taking her meds. She stopped sleeping. This is like real psychosis. Like that, that I had saw things that, I never thought I would. And it was the, when you say inauthentic environment, I was like scared shitless for the first day or two. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I like didn't feel safe at all. And I kept telling the nurses that and they'll be like, they were like, you'll get, it's fine. No one's going to hurt you. You'll get used to it. I'm like, but that guy like tried to tackle you. Right. Stop being, bo- stop bullshitting me here. Yeah. And like, and they, my, the toilet in my room didn't work the whole time. So I had to use a toilet next to the quiet rooms and you know what the quiet rooms are i imagine so that was awful especially if someone was in there and like screaming there was a girl who was she was on one-to-one so she had a psych tech with her all the time and she was like super out of it in fact at one point she pulled down her pants in the hallway and shit on the floor okay so i would like to talk to somebody about me being sad but she also said one of my favorite things that whole time is we were in line for meds and she was like, um, excuse me, move, excuse me, move, please. Excuse me, move, please. And I was like, yep, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> the psych tech with her was like, I don't, she's just really, I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. She's, just, excuse me, excuse me, move, please. Excuse me, move, please. I thought that was so funny. And it's like, these are the things that I want to talk about because like these experiences were hilarious. I feel like people don't let me talk about it because it's it's also like, oh, well, I was there because I like tried to kill myself and like I super wanted to die. So I was like very angry and I like still have moments where I, I do want to die and like that. Um, but we can't talk about that part. Right. I also had there was this also a guy who was 74. He was a doctor of chemistry, PhD yeah. in chemistry. And he would tell you that when he met you and he would tell you what book he wrote. Mm-hmm. And he was in a wheelchair, 
but only kind of. He kept saying he was kept trying to get transferred to um, another hospital. That there was a psych tech. They're like you know all three like three hundred pound guys like six five right. He was like the sweetest guy. He but he hated this guy. <laughs> and this this guy, Doctor Richard, decided to call nine one one a bunch of times in right, one day, right. and. They kept having to come to the hospital because you'll never hear the words civil rights more than if you're in the psych ward because people are violating them. That's what people think. Yeah. And you're like, nope, you make me go to dinner. That's violating my civil rights. The psych tech says, hey, everyone, just FYI, we have to take the phones out of this room because we can't have unsupervised phone time now because somebody decided to call 911 a bunch and... <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Richard's like, I didn't call 911. I called the, the non-emergency number. You guys are keeping me here. And he, the psych tech just got like so mad and he opened the door and he pushed him out of the room. Like wow. he just, he was like, Richard, I can't take you anymore. And he just like pushed him out of the room, closed the door. And he was like, does anyone have any questions about the phone policy? I'm very sorry. You can use the phone at the nurse's desk. And this guy had been in the hospital for like a year. These were the moments that, that I was just like, this is really happening. Yeah, so <laughs> like, I'm supposed to heal in here? Right. I lied to the doctor so I could get out. I was like, I oh, yeah, I'm like, I totally have the will to live. Yeah. I never get to talk about this stuff. No, it's so interesting that we don't talk about it. Can't talk about it. Need to talk about it. Right. So you lied to your doctor. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to take my meds. I feel I'm not going to kill myself, blah, blah, blah. Because you know exactly what they fucking need to hear. Oh, yeah. And they know you know that, presumably. So it is this weird game. The doctor in there, um, I didn't find him uncaring. He was just obviously very busy and has a huge caseload. It was a you know public hospital. Someone's above him saying, do your fucking job. Yeah. I was not better, obviously. And... Then my parents wouldn't, one of them was on my couch at all times. And my mom like hid my knives. I've never cut or like done anything with sharp objects before. I was like, well, how am I supposed to like. Cut food. <laughs> like, I don't like, she took the butter knives. But you know, I love butter, mom. What am I supposed to? <laughs> Literally, I'm just going to go no butter, okay? I'll just use my oh, finger? Wait, like, what the hell? Butter. Yeah, I mean, they kind of overcompensated. Like, I felt like they take they took my freedom away in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I and I get where they were coming from. Because I'm not an idiot. Like, you know, your kid tries to kill themselves. Like, you don't want to let them out of your sight. So they were on. And I was just like, I kept telling them to leave. I was like, you need, this is like not helping. Like I went back to work and my boss at the time was like super supportive and she knew the whole thing as it was happening and like was she was great. You know, my classes had been covered and it was like not a big deal. Like she just uh, and she was really discreet about the whole thing. So I appreciated that. And that was the part where it was like all of you guys know what happened and nobody's acknowledging anything. And and that happened with my friends outside of work, too. It's just like I couldn't tell you why, but like. None of you have asked me why I tried to kill myself or like ask me anything about this. And it was just so weird. That's, I don't know. Did you have that experience? This is something that might come as a surprise to you. I've only been close to kill, trying to kill myself. Oh, okay. 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 You would think someone with a podcast like this 
but no, uh, I haven't. So I've been hospitalized twice. Neither time I would say was that was the right place to go, but there was nowhere else to really go. I mean, there's no, there's only so many fucking places. To yeah. Go. Not like we don't have like, and you know, unless, unless you're rich and you can go to some cool retreat in like Palm Springs. I know. I was just going to say something. that. Like, I mean, cool. Put me on a plane to Sedona. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. And I'll be, and the reality is that probably spa. would be really good. I'd be fine if I'm getting like, okay, I'm getting massages. You're like, right, yeah, right. like, no, no, no. You need to be in a sterile, better. shitty, unsafe hospital. No, probably not. But yeah, with just so, like people that could attack you at any time. I mean, that that was the scariest thing is that there were so many people there that um, were here's, violent. Here's the secret. Here, here, here's the real fucking truth. Here's what I think. Not most people believe, but a good number. F- you deserve that shit. Fuck you. That's what I actually think a lot of people deep down think. You want to do that? You're that down? You can't appreciate life? This, that, the other? You can't take care of yourself? You can't hold a job? And you know, long, long list? Well, you want to see how bad it really is? Yeah, fuck you. That's what I really think is underlying some of this shit. Fuck up and get on with it. Not people not acknowledging that this is definitely like a brain chemistry thing. Like it was present in my little baby brain, you know, when I was nine. That, that you're telling me that like I'm making it up or I should pull myself up by my bootstraps or like whatever, like choose happiness, any of those, like go outside, just right. like go, go hiking. Right. Emily didn't know those were options. Thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. Like, thank oh my, you so no, much. Shit, I could go hiking and this shit would be okay. Well, where the fuck have you been? Why don't you tell me, dude? Looking at some trees and suddenly I'm cured. Yeah. And I, I do, I take, I take issues with, issue with people who just really don't understand like mental illness and and how it affects people and it's it's interesting because the people that I was afraid of in the hospital that's what people think of when they think of these diseases and and these disorders you know like this guy is schizophrenic but that's not who he is normally like this is like him not taking his medication and like presenting like really terrible psychosis and horrible like side effects of schizophrenia but but this is something that's wrong with his brain it doesn't make him a bad person i know that like i may not have an outward reason to like be as sad as i am and i think that a lot of people don't understand that like no like yeah i get it my life's like not that bad but i can't control it bums me out that i have to take you know nine pills a day to get out of bed but like i know what happens when i don't take it did your school or whoever hired you know no. Any of this? Yeah, you don't have to tell them, and they still don't know, right? I did not tell them. I would never tell them. A couple of my coworkers here know about my story just because, like, I shared it with them. Because I think that you know, because so many people don't know that I'm depressed, let alone like this depressed. And you know what's funny? My brother actually had a prescription, a brand new prescription of hydrocodone, and I grabbed the wrong bottle. And if I had grabbed the right bottle, I wouldn't. Where was that other bottle? Uh, like next to it. You'd be dead. We wouldn't be talking. You wouldn't have had that yeah. story. You wouldn't be in Taiwan. You're talking. But yeah, I mean, I was very close. Like it, it was a matter of like, yeah, yeah of, of grabbing the wrong bottle. Um, Are you somebody who believes that that was some sort of divine intervention saving you or just random luck? No, I'm like not. I'm an atheist. I'm not like yeah. into any. I think it was a coincidence. Um, I hesitate to call it luck. I don't know. Oh, wait. Okay. So that's where we're going. 
I mean, there. You still want to kill yourself sometimes. Sometimes I think, yeah. To be honest, it depends. I think less of a how often and and more of a like they're fleeting thoughts now. It's not the kind of intensity, right, right, that I was having, um, and that has a lot to do with my medication that I'm on now. When you're spending ninety five percent of your day thinking about how you want to die. Like that's eventually going to lead to you trying something. Yeah. And that is not my life right now. I mean, like I would be lying to you if I said like, no, I'm fine. Like I'm totally good and cured and whatever. And, but I'm on enough like medication and I've like, my life looks completely different than it did when I tried. There's so many things I wouldn't have experienced. That's very true. I never would have gotten, gotten into storytelling one day when I was super pissed still like, about a month after I tried, um, after I got out of the hospital, my 31st birthday in the hospital, which is like the saddest <laughs> like place to have a birthday. Fucking like, isn't like, like me being at my, like the morning meeting, like the morning check-in meeting. And I was like streaming tears down my face in a mental hospital. Yeah. It's like not a psychiatric hospital. It, it It's not a good look. So I was really pissed about that still. And I booked a solo trip to Belize and I went to Belize in Guatemala. I was like, if I'm going to be sad, I'll be sad on a beach. It was really life-changing. It was awesome. Solo vacation. Yes. (laughs) Into that because nobody tells me what to do, Mm -hmm. but there's also no one to put aloe on my very sunburned back, which was a problem as well. Yes. I, but I went on this trip to Belize. I like went to the beach. I went to the inner part of Belize. I went to Guatemala for a day, saw like Mayan ruins and I did all this stuff by myself. And it kind of gave me this different sense of like, okay, like these are the things that I can do alone. And like, these are the things that I can, I can be better at being alone. Got back from that, started the school year on a whim. I was looking up core stuff to I was like lesson planning um, before school started. And I saw, I came across the moth because I wanted to like do some storytelling and I had listened to the podcast in college and I just saw they had events and I was like, Oh, like there's an event in DC like tomorrow. And I bought tickets and I just like invited a friend. Um, The next time I went the next month, I went and I put my name in and I performed and I won first time on stage. And I won. I know I like peaked early. When I got out of the hospital in February, uh, a week after that on Valentine's Day, I did my first uh, stand-up comedy. I like tried stand-up comedy for the first time. How were you? How oh, was it? it was good. It went really well. I won that story slam. I tried again the next um, month. I didn't win, but that was fine. I was like, I need to try it again because I need to rip this band-aid off of like, you can't win every time, right? Right. Um, <laughs> like, go. you have to be okay with that, Emily. Like, don't don't be that person. So one of the girls that I went against when I won, um, came up to me and she was like, listen, I'm a roving producer for this podcast called story collider. And she was like, do you have any stories about science? Like, I think you were great. And I would like to put you in this show. And I was like, I'm sure I could figure something out. Theme was curses. And I was like, I feel like this might be a good story to tell. And they were like, super good about like, is this a scar, not a wound? want to make sure you're like ready to talk about it it was a, just a really great experience and like I got to tell this story and it was this bar and it's just like silent everyone was listening to me and 
that and it was that whole different experience of like telling this these funny stories on the moth and like getting up there and telling something that was just like like this is like me bearing my rawest nerve I guess and everyone was really supportive so and since then I got to perform in New York a couple times it's amazing. And then, of course, like COVID hit and I moved to Taiwan, but I never would have done any of this Where if I you? had chosen chosen the different bottle, you know? Yes. You are still sometimes from what you said, but tell me if I'm wrong. Still, despite what you just said, despite being on meds, et cetera, et cetera, you still ideate. Yes. Sounds like from what you shared when you started ideating, given that it's in part certainly genetic, you may always ideate. Yeah. I, and that that's a reality, I think, Sean, that I've accepted this along with the fact that I'm like always going to have to be medicated. It's a brutal one to accept. Um, I sent a picture to, I like organize all my medication for a week and I sent a picture to like my sister and a couple of friends and I was just like, this is so much like this makes me feel like shit. I, I, I wish that like I know I know why I need to take it and I'm going to take it. I'm not going to stop taking it. Yeah. But this sucks. I, I I hate, you know, this is as much medicine as like somebody with a, like a different physical condi- condition would take, but like people could still, I have to take this medicine and people still think I'm making it up. Uh, there's so many things that I'm sure we could probably find a whole lot of common ground here. And I wish people would yeah. understand Definitely. For me, one of the big ones is like, I don't want to be ill, but you are so accepted. Stop being a dick about it. Let me have the space of not wanting to be that way. And I may never want it. I might always fight it. Yeah. Sorry. It's obviously that big of a thing. You out there, whoever you are saying to me or Emily or whomever, you know, just do this, just do that. Take your med. It's like, stop, man. You're missing something and it's important something. And it's a really hard pill to swallow. Awful pun, but really. (laughs) You know what's something that I am struggling with? And and I think this is something that I've struggled with for the past few years. Trying to explain to people that therapy is not always like something I need at the moment. Like they don't understand like fatigue from that. But now because I've done this thing, they don't respect my opinions or choices about those kinds of things anymore you don't know yourself well enough to make that decision emily yeah they're like i mean they question my rationality i'm like you know no i don't really feel like pursuing therapy at the moment and it's kind of like you take enough you take advil to advil every day for three years it stops working sometimes you need to build up a tolerance a little bit which isn't to say that therapy is a bad thing but for me right now like i mean the last time i tried it the therapist dismissed like a really traumatic event that I had in my life and said, it didn't seem to be affecting me every day. So maybe we should focus on my weight. That is not why I came here. (laughs) Uh, I've told many a therapist to fuck off. Of course, there's plenty of people who are dealing with plenty of things and they're not rational. No one suggests otherwise. You know, the woman who was not on her meds and dealing with the delusions, of course she needs help. Of yes. course you need help, right? And and probably yes. needs to be there or in some place like that and maybe for a long time. But Emily's not mm-hmm. that person and I'm not that person. And like, we're just people who are <laughs> like, do you think people who want to kill themselves are by default mentally ill? Or can somebody who's not mentally ill decide, no, I think I'd rather not be here. And I've thought about it and I'm going to do that. Because I have lived in Asia, I do think that you can want to kill yourself and not be mentally ill. 
because there's a very big difference uh, and view of suicide um, traditionally on the side of the world uh, yeah. and how it has to do with like honor and me thinking of like samurai warriors uh, like laying on their swords that's and and this kind of shame and now people are recognizing like mental illness and stuff but people would kill themselves because of the shame or debt so I think that and and that happens in the U.S. too like I'm killing myself because I have I'm facing charges on something or I have a lot of debt and I can't pay it or one of the things when I posted my story originally a childhood friend of mine contacted me through Facebook and and it was really sweet I, I haven't seen her in a long time but uh, her mom had 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 killed herself um, a few years prior. She was just like, you know, I didn't know that, like, I felt like I had a conversation with her that I didn't know I needed to have when I was listening to your story. Like, it kind of put things in a different perspective for me about, like, why she might have done it. And and I was just like, you know, it, it wanting to kill yourself is by default illogical. Like, killing yourself is illogical. It's against human nature. Our lizard brain says keep yourself alive. But if you take that away, like if you try not to put logic on this illogical thing, like you'll maybe not get it, but like it, you won't be so tortured by like what you could have done, you know, because because I think about it and like literally there was no one that like if they called me at that moment, I would have hung up the phone and it didn't have to do with anybody else. It, it was me and and what I wanted and like, no, it was not a rational decision by you know the dictionary definition it's but I've I've noticed that like my family now questions my rationality about anything having to do with my mental health they don't trust me uh with that a lot of the time which on some level I guess I understand on other levels I'm like fuck off you know like I said and like you said I'm probably going to ideate for the rest of my life and that's something that they worry about and that for me is just like a day mm-hmm. in the life, in the brain, day in the brain of Emily. I don't know what it's like to not feel that way. Right. You know, to, to them, none of them have felt that way. So it, it's like to them, it, it's this big, scary thing. And to me, it's just like an everyday fleeting thought that like enters and then it leaves. There's also a lot of things people, yeah. it's very hard to understand. Like I'll give you one example of something that's very hard for people to understand. If I feel good, really good. I mean, I, I, that's a great thing, but I also immediately am aware of what I'm missing when I don't feel good. Yeah. It's this massive reminder of what's possible and rare for me. So when you yeah. think, Oh, great. Sean's in a great mood and he's doing well. Yeah. But, but I'm not going to say that because they're tired of hearing all that shit, but it is, and you know, everything seems to get clouded by this stuff sometimes or often it, it mm-hmm. always seeps in somehow now i i hope that's not the case for you moving forward but yeah and and i've i've done a lot of stuff i think over the last three years to try to deal with that yeah and like figure out how i can i mean obviously like pandemic life got i got very good at being by myself (laughs) like yeah I, i was forced to do it right like you you have to be and like you know anyone that didn't have depression before that like definitely did after so yeah. i am much better at being alone 
and not needing people's attention all the time. And um, I also kind of, I, I think some of this is just getting older. I'm 34 now and like- Old, old woman. Old, I know, no, 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 I'm joking, I'm joking. Yeah. I, I've got many years on you, you're fine. I know. But but I think when think about when you were like in your mid thirties, right? You didn't really you started to not care about stuff so much, like the what people thought or like maybe what, maybe, yeah, maybe maybe I don't know. I'm I feel like I don't care about what people think as much. I don't like. I think I have a lot more confidence. Um, I stand up for myself. Yeah. Uh, at work, which uh, and this job did not bode well. I right. asked why too many times. Don't do that. <laughs> they didn't like that question. I tell people what I need from them emotionally and like, and I ask people what they need from me. And like, I, I try to be really open about like communicating my feelings. I don't, I haven't told anyone other than you uh, and I guess the listeners, which is fine. I'm totally fine with this going out that I still ideate that that like never really stopped. Because, yeah, like I said, I mean, people already don't trust my rationality. I don't really want to add to that, you know, and, and it got pretty bad here a few t- a few times just because it I was pretty miserable um, at work. And, you know, it, the, different things trigger whatever different things. But, you know, I'd love to say that I tried to kill myself and I did all these things and like went on cool vacations and like got involved in a hobby that I'm good at and I really like. It's a hard thing to talk about, and it's some. Well, it's so funny because it's so it's easier on stage. Totally, because people are shutting the fuck up. One reason, two. I mean, they're just not. Just stop talking and let me talk. And when you have a microphone and the expectation is you're going to shut up for six minutes and let someone talk, it's fucking powerful. Guess what? You could do that in your real life. Just shut the fuck up. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, and it's it it's true. The thing that I, about these mental health related shows, and I'm a snob. I am. They, they're often not good. They're wounds. They're not cur- they're curated at all. They're garbage. Yeah. They, and it bothers me, not because your story isn't super important or powerful. It's just you don't know how to do it. So what will happen is you have this beautiful opportunity for you to tell that story and for them to hear your story. But you're not doing it in a way where they're going to really listen. And no, just because yeah. you're speaking your truth does not make me want to listen necessarily. Stop. I'm trying to find that's one of the spaces I want to try to um, fill and be one of those people in there who are like, nah, actually, your story is potentially amazing. Your courage is already amazing. But let us let us do some work on this shit because it matters and people yeah. want them to hear you when you're speaking. And that, the, it, yeah, they do that. I mean, and when you are speaking, you are about something serious and every single person in the audience is silent. It's like, for me, it was like almost as good of a feeling as when everybody was laughing. I mean, it was like. But why is that? Do you think? You know, just because I know that they're like, like I was like, I'm like capturing this audience. Like people are listening to me and they want to know this story. Like mm-hmm. I've caught their attention. I'm telling it in a way that obviously people are taken by mm-hmm. because they're like silent and looking at me. Mm-hmm. Pretty much nobody was like ordering drinks during my story, which is like kind of rare at that particular venue. And you can see it from the stage, like if somebody's ordering oh, you can? Uh, yeah. a drink. Yeah, it was just like, I don't know, it was just a really good experience. You know what I did? <laughs> I didn't tell. Um, so I invited my sister and my dad 
my sister brought her um, boss. I didn't tell any of them what it was going to be about. So, or I told my sister maybe what it was going to be about. Right. But I did not yeah. tell my dad. He was like not super pleased and left after that. Like at least he like told me I did really well, and then he left because he like couldn't handle it. And you know he's a like seventy six year old grizzled Vietnam vet who's been like very supportive of me and my mental health, but like still can't like process emotions. Cause they like, don't, they didn't allow that back then. I remember thinking like, oh, is that hard for you to listen to? If you'd been paying attention for the last year, then you would have known all of that mm. already. So and it was just, my sister said the same thing. She's like, I knew like all of that in some respect, paying attention for the last year. I never thought about like, I don't know. I, I didn't feel any like sympathy for him or empathy for him. I was like, mm. oh, was that like hard and was hard for you? Like to imagine like feeling that way and doing that it's pretty hard for me yeah. too talking about it on figure. stage or just going through it in our everyday lives we're not usually sort of performing a six minute story in which you know we're so intentional about having a beginning middle end and all the things you would do for mm -hmm. for, a, for an event and i do think there's this particular powerful magic with groups listening but the reason why most people don't know what you said on stage is because you don't give them six minutes you give them six seconds and we can't tweet yeah. out the fucking information you need in that time. <laughs> My big thing, and I and I want to do more with it. it. Just it's you just have to shut the fuck up. And I need I need to do it too. Yeah. But it's like we can't both be talking. Yeah. Do you? I mean, do you feel like when you're talking about your issues to somebody, like a friend or or whatever, and, and you get like any sense that they feel uncomfortable, and they immediately just like stop talking about it because that's that's yeah. how i feel oh i can I like i got my finger on the pulse here and like you're uncomfortable you know right away yeah and i just think that sucks like it and it sucked for me and it it, it never has gotten better and i, I haven't found anybody i guess in it's my hard. life that i feel like i can talk about it any of this stuff with right even after i i feel like at this point everybody has forgotten that i did this Right. Which is part of the reason that I wanted to talk to you. Thank you. I want people to remember like this happened. Right. And that like it 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 was this really transformative event for me. And like it's something that's like still right. possible, like yes. you know, on some level. Right. And you're and, and you yeah. Uh. And 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 like that the fact that you guys have been ignoring it for three years, like still kind of hurts i don't know i i i want to be able to be open about it and it's not it's not me you know they always say right like talk about your feelings talk about it talk about your illness yeah, like get the, sti the stigma the stigma the stigma yeah, yeah. and i'm like i'm fine with talking about it i'll talk about it all ding dong day i'm not fine with it yeah but. but i i mentioned like if i say like yeah i felt like yesterday i kind of felt like i was i was like thinking about suicide a lot and they would be like, oh my God. And I'd be like, never mind. Never mind. Like, yeah. You know what, Emily? I have, leave it there. I have friends. I do some dancing and I have friends there. Like, that's an example. Like, most of them, what I've gotten bad at, and it actually causes problems in all kinds of relationships. I have done this thing where I hate it. I've become kind of like the, the conversation police. And so, somebody, so I'll say something like you just said, or maybe even something much like just, ah, I'm not doing so well. Someone will say something and I'll be like, see, that's your, that's the problem. 
you're the problem. When you do that and you say that, that's why people kill themselves. So stop. <laughs> like, you think that's you're this, you're this ancillary thing. You're killing conversations. It's suffocating. I'm not talking to you anymore. Come on my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, because I'm just, I'm tired of it. Yeah. I'm, I don't want to dance around it. And I'll say, you know, this is, you, it's so easy to think that everything that, that people are doing is this, this small little, it adds up. Yeah. I mean, I got to tell you, man, when I, when I was in the hospital in February, like in that, in 2018, a bunch of people came and visited me like friends. It was nice. When I was in the hospital, when I actually tried to come myself, one friend came with my sister on my birthday. Mm. Nobody really contacted me. Like I, my mom had my phone and she texted people and said, like, you can um, email her because uh, we had like a computer lab that we could go to every day or like Facebook or whatever. It, it was like, did I like use it up the first, right. <laughs> the first time? Yeah, no, I think you did. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, I, I think I, think I used did. it up the first time yeah. and and I remember it really hurt I, my best friend from high school I has a she had this tumor for a long time and it's not cancer it's a special it's a different tumor but um she had to go through a lot with it and I, I sat with her doing like chemo and like I went multiple times and well, like, Emily, I, that's a real disease yeah it is <laughs> but I you know and she said to me if I had like five people I thought would be there for me, like, you're the, like, only one that was, like, one of two people, you know? And and then she didn't... <laughs> Once people feel like they can't help you in their mind, because no matter what, she's going to be in this place, and I can't... But to me, that's bizarre thinking. Yeah. We want you to just hang with them and feel a little less shitty. I don't think you were asking her to solve everything. No. Just be there well, for somebody. Like company is company. Well, that's I mean, yeah, that's why I I went to go sit with her when she got chemo, you know, like I can't make it better, but I can be there. And I think that's something my mom taught me. Just like be there. Just go. And that's like you don't always true. need to say anything or, or do anything or bring anything. You can sometimes just like sitting your ass down next to somebody is like exactly what they need. And yeah, right. and you know, I've never spoken to her about that. I sometimes think about like, I wonder, does anybody really like remember this happening or like do they think it's just a thing that happened and it's over like most people will find a way to make it work for them so well she's in taiwan she must be fine i know they do it with me there's just no way sean could be doing that poorly if he has two podcasts what what what, you're you're, You're like functioning high functioning fucking nut job here (laughs) high functioning bad feeling like me Right. Don't confuse high functioning with being okay. And I've checked myself sometimes and I've wondered, am I, am I doing this for a little bit of like an extra? No, actually. Yeah. Like I've really checked myself. Am I doing it? And if there was attention, am I doing it so that you can pay attention? But you know what? Sometimes Emily, I'm almost like some of the conversation with someone maybe last week. And and she was saying the same thing about attention. And I said, well, you know, for the people in your life who say you're just doing it for attention, I do want to ask them, are you giving this person any attention? Like, I mean, it isn't the worst thing in the world. We do need attention. Just <laughs> just saying, like, yeah. if you're ignoring them all the time, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe you should just, like, say hey and who knows. What, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'm I mean, I have, like, many ways of getting attention that aren't 
attempting not killing yourself yeah so i don't i don't feel like i'm pretty good at getting attention really i mean that's like i literally do a job where i stand at the front of a room full of people who have to listen to me so right you're you're right that was a choice obviously i like attention you can conclude that i didn't do this for attention because i didn't fucking tell anybody i didn't say hey if you don't come over i'm gonna kill myself or whatever like you know bullshit that they put on like tv right and what like depression looks like in people or what bipolar disorder looks on like on people in media and what people expect you to be like and you know i'm supposed to be like unwashed and in my bed and like not doing anything and and not like excelling at my job and not you know, being energetic and positive and funny. And And if you excel at your job and you're energetic and funny and you can write a story or craft a story and then go up on stage, then, then you must be, when you're down, it must be for attention. It must be an intentional thing, just like those things, because come on, I mean, you could do those things that time. So yeah, it's silly. I think it's, I think it's really important that people know that I I saw a tweet. I thought that was really, um, that really has stood out to me. And stuck with me. Uh, this girl said, "My brother died from depression. He uh, had lots of friends. He was in a stable relationship. He had a great job. He exercised every day. Um, we have a really close family, and he still killed himself. So it's not depression's like a mental illness." That stuck with me. It's like, yeah, you know, you can do all of these things and like live this very seemingly normal life and still feel this way. And like that's how those of us with these these um, ailments kind of learn how to wear a mask and make everyone feel like comfortable about it and right. that we're, we're fine. I, I guess I have this obsession I get with people feeling like comfortable with my depression, which I probably shouldn't like that. I, if I sense it at all that you like are uncomfortable, I I'll just shut right. up and yeah. and then and then that you know of course spirals to like wow they like really just don't give a shit it's tricky it's definitely a hard pill to swallow and i'm still not like i still like i said i haven't found um an outlet uh like anyone i can really talk to that i feel 100 percent comfortable with and there because i have some friends who are like better than others and like i can get to certain like levels with some of them but then i don't feel like i've said everything to one person you know like you're gone like deeper mm-hmm. than uh than a certain point if that applies to you how many other people does it apply to most people just that's that's what it's like for them yeah i am a person who is super sociable and makes friends easily and likes wow. to talk to people and that's hard for me so like i can only imagine like if you if that is not something that comes easily to you being a, a person who doesn't make friends easily or um, is nervous to talk to people. Ooh. It's even harder, you know, like you really certainly don't have anyone to talk to. And with therapy being so difficult to get access to in the US, it even with nationalized healthcare here, it's it's kind of it's difficult to find a therapist. I didn't pursue it because uh, I don't speak Chinese. It seems like everywhere around the freaking world, no matter where you are, it, it's hard to to get yeah what you need. So I, I wonder when we're going to figure out a solution or just, I'm going to just roll up to the pharmacy every three months and like, get your shit, get my shit, <laughs> like go home and maybe eventually find a therapist and 
like the insurance I was on in the States, uh, my last job, it was great. It covered all of my hospitalizations like fully, but also the therapists were available like once a, a month or once every six weeks. So that's, yeah, which is, yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't bond with somebody. Of course not. They don't remember me. It's interesting because I have a hard time saying that out loud, suicide attempt. Mm. I've taken it to I've taken a calling it like my oopsie because I can't like say it like I have to put it in like a joke kind of way or like the oopsie or whatever and like people know what I'm <laughs> what I'm talking about and also like it feels like attempt to, I mean you know by definition it was an attempt but it, it felt like it wasn't I mean it was it wasn't me like trying something it was me doing something like I you know what I mean no, like also, I didn't you, think you completed what you in a way what you did yeah follow them it's not as if it's like incomplete in a way yeah the exact that's exactly what i mean like i like completed it it just was the wrong amount it, it's it's weird right like if that literally only didn't succeed because i grabbed the wrong bottle you know people ask me sometimes like what you asked like do you think that was kind of some kind of like intervention or like are you happy about that and then sometimes i'm like yeah and sometimes i'm like i don't know i don't know because i don't but it's really hard for people to hear i don't know Usually I just say, yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Um, super happy about that. Definitely worked out. But it feels like, I imagine um, you felt this at points too, that it, it feels like I, I kind of fixed a lot of this stuff by myself. Like, I don't feel like I had a lot of help. And it's not that people weren't supportive. I don't want to give other people like no credit, but it also feels like I said, it feels like a lot of people forgot that this happened and nobody is comfortable talking about it. And I feel just kind of like trapped in this, like, am I the only one that remember? Did it actually happen? Or are we like pretending that didn't that didn't happen? It's also brought on this like terrible things get really like bad around my birthday because that's like when it happened and I like start to reflect on like, is anything different? Yeah. So it's got this like lasting effects. Am I doing better than I was doing then? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just leaps and leaps and bounds better than I was doing. Am I, you know, 100%? No, I'm never going to be 100%. This, that's my illness. That's why I take nine pills a day. I think for some people, myself, maybe you, feels often like all the stuff that I'm classified as I'm doing better, I'm doing better, but it's still like this kind of small percentage in the big picture. I say this and I don't want, and I don't say it much because people don't want to hear it. But really, it feels often like, here's the deal. Cheesy metaphor alert. Cheesy metaphor alert. I'm in this fucking ocean. Massive ocean. And I'm drowning. You give me a life jacket. You give me even a small boat and some food. That's great. I feel a little better. I stay alive a little longer. Maybe even for a moment or two, I'm in a big enough boat. I have a little hope. At the end of the day, I'm still in the big fucking ocean solo, right? So it's a tricky spot to be in. When people say, well, you know, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing this, you're doing that, dot, 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 ergo, you must be fine. Like, stop. Mm. But you don't want to be the person who's constantly like, well, but I'm not fine. It's like, you know, they're getting annoyed with it. You know, they're tired of hearing it. So you're like, you know what? I'll save you that. I'm fine. The burden thing is is huge with me. I I feel like we've all had an experience with somebody who's mentally ill that we felt like very frustrated with them and like trying to deal with them. I don't want to be that to anybody. One time I said something to my mom that I felt bad for my one friend because he like came to the hospital 
And I'm I'm still kind of like embarrassed about that, that he like saw me like that or that like I told my sister to call him. I don't know. But and I was like, I feel like that's a really big like emotional burden that he didn't sign up for. And uh, she was like, well, yeah, it is a burden. Mm. And I was like, okay, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know like and that that stuck with me i mean it's one of those things that like moms say that can be like unintentionally devastating that's another title of a good book un- unintentionally devastating things moms say right and now i'm like feel like a burden to anybody if i like talk about this stuff too much like what's too much i don't know i i don't have a gauge because like i feel comfortable talking about it but other people don't so i don't know definitely a thing that like is difficult with like romance romance right like of course sure how when am um, i gonna tell you when is this gonna come up if you're showing yeah, like when are you gonna... oh, it's too soon don't scare them away no Bob. don't not on the first date now i know when you see me like shaking pills out of the bottle that's like when you'll find out but it makes it it makes it a bit harder you know you don't want you don't want to seem flawed I guess you don't and, want to seem dishonest and like, Hey, this is like a big part of, of my life and my thinking. And like, as much as everyone pretends like it's not, it is, it's a huge part of, of me. And like, I am sorry. That's not, that's just going to be like a burden to you because I can't control it. And like, how do you tell somebody that before they love you? Cause you don't want to be like six months in year in and be like, Oh yeah. By the way. Yeah. I like, tried to kill myself like a few years ago I was in the hospital i like took a bunch of pills what tricky right hold <laughs> what? on yeah my bad what uh i would i wish i wish this is the i wish moment i wish people would look at it more as like not a burden and i'm not a parent by the way so i would not pretending to know what it's like for your mm-hmm. child to be going through this stuff at all mm-hmm. but in my particular position it's it's like an honor i love it even though I sometimes talk too much. Of all the people in the world, they're choosing to say to me. Okay. That's what I feel. Yeah. I'm like, God yeah. damn, I'm not gonna thank you. I have I mean, and I'm not a parent either. And that's partially because I don't I don't wanna be a single parent or have anybody to parent with. But the other thing is like I don't wanna pass this to anybody. Like my sister's having a baby and I think that's great. And like my parents are going to have a grandchild and like my mom's just like over the moon about it. And um, she's been waiting for grandchild, grandchild since we were born. I think I'm not going to do, I'm not going to have one because I just like, don't want to, I don't want anybody to be like cursed the way that I've been with like these genes and these, this brain, like it's like a hard reality to come to, but also like, I know that there's a huge chance some, if I have a kid, they're going to have these same problems. And like, I don't want to be the person to bring them into the world for that. That's like also a weird conscious choice to have to make kind of as like somebody with condition that can be like passed down genetically. These are like the kind of realities that I think people don't know about or like that don't know that people with mental illness think about. When you have something like this, you just, that's something you think about too. What genes are you willing to give your child? Thank you for talking with me. Thank you for talking with me. This is great. Any other last thoughts for the listeners? If you are struggling with something like this, as hard as it is, like don't wait until you have a bottle of pills in your hand to tell somebody. That's where I got and it wasn't good. You can get different kinds of help, whether it's 
therapy, whether it's uh, medicine, figuring out what things need to change in your life, like quitting your job, like if you have a terrible job, tell somebody before you're, you have the, the pills in your hand before you're writing a note, because as much as I said, like that, I still, you know, I still struggle with this. I'm always going to, there's so much I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have done if I yeah. had grabbed the right bottle of pills. So overall, I don't regret that, that I grabbed the wrong one, that you can kind of head it off before you're at that point and, and try to try to get back to a place that's more stable mm-hmm. that you can sustain and just recognizing like what your issues are. Are your issues caused by something or if there, is there a trauma in your past that you need to confront? Do it because when you don't, that's like when you go too far and you have these like terrible uh, psych hospital experiences if you live through it. So buck up the courage to figure it out before you get there. That's, I guess, what I mean. Thank you. Hope the rest of your time there is, is decent. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to me for two and a half hours. I enjoy it. It's an yeah. honor. It's an honor. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. How do you say goodbye in Chinese? Bye-bye. <laughs> Awesome. I'm I'm okay, Emily. I believe you. <laughs> bye bye. I'm gonna come I'm gonna come back talking like a fucking toddler. Cause everybody goes bye bye. So I'm gonna be like bye bye. Like I'm two. Excuse yeah. me, move please. Bye bye. Excuse me, move please. Bye bye. Okay. All right, have a good day, Sean. Good day, Emily. Thanks again. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Emily out in Taiwan. Safe travels back to the States, Emily. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I would love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. That is all for episode number 64. Stay strong. Do the very best you can. I'll talk to you soon.